At Gates, we are passionate about the Word of God. We hope the message you are about to listen to empowers you today. Well, I, I, I'm here today actually just to uh, remind you of something that I know you already know well. And the reason I know that you know this well is because I know your pastor. And I'm honored to call Pastor Bert Wimberly my friend. And he has been my friend for many years. And he's not, not just been a friend to me, but he's been the kind of friend who would tell me the truth. How many of you know you need those kinds of friends in your life? You, you don't need just friends in your life who hang out with you because they like the same coffee that you like. You need some friends in your life that will tell you the truth even when it might be uncomfortable from time to time. You need a friend in your life that can be a confidant and one who will hold your secrets. Those are the kind of friends that we need in our life. And I will say this to you, those are the kind of friends we need to be. We need to be those kinds of friends, right? And, and Pastor Bert has been that kind of friend to me for, for many years. And I'm, I'm grateful for our friendship, and I'm grateful to him for his kindness and generosity. And I'm grateful that he keeps inviting me back. I always leave thinking, oh, well, I hope I said that right. Because Pastor Bert's such a good teacher of the Bible, you know? And, and so I'm not here to compete. That's why I say don't compare. Come back and hear Pastor Bert and just, just, just know that, Everything's going to be okay. I won't destroy the church. I will make that promise to you. I, I won't ruin everything. But I want to just remind you of a truth that I, that I know that you already know. Again, because I know Pastor Bird and the things that he teaches. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 5, I'm sorry. 1 John chapter 5. It's all the way towards the back of the Bible. It's not the Gospel of John. It is the Epistle of John. And it is his first epistle. Uh, in my Bible, that's page 1176, if that kind of helps you land in the general area. Maybe look for that. Uh, but it's right towards the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 5. And I, and I want to read one verse and, and then we'll pray. 1 John chapter 5. In verse 4. 1 John 5 and verse 4. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Have you been born of God? Yes. Okay, then this is talking about you. Whatever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have together with one another and with you. Father, we ask you to speak to us now by your word and by your spirit. Transform us and change us. I pray, Father, according to... Romans chapter 10, that faith would come by hearing the word. And I ask you, Lord, for your grace and mercy to rest upon every heart and mind. Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 1, I ask that you'd grant to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord, we want to know you better today. Jesus, we place you as Lord over this time. Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead and guide us to truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Look at your neighbor and say, you are looking good today. If you don't know them, don't touch them. That's weird. But you can just say, hey, you're looking good. You're looking good. Yeah. So this verse of Scripture is, a, is an incredible verse of Scripture, I believe, because it, it helps us understand that God has a plan. If you have put your faith in Him, if you have become a child of God, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you have invited Him into your life as your Lord and your Savior, then God has a plan for you to live a life that overcomes. And He says, and there is a victory 
that is attached to something. The victory that leads you to the overcoming life is found in this, your faith. What do you believe? I don't know how you feel, but I, I want to live in victory. I, I've been a loser, and I like being a winner better. Is, is that too deep? Is that too deep? I, I, okay, I'm, I'm originally from Oklahoma, and I, and I just have to say, I'm not allowed to say this, but I'm just going to have to say, boomer sooner. I, I don't know how else to say it other than just to say it like that. guy commented yesterday to me, he goes, he said, he said, uh, it wasn't that you guys won, we just didn't show up. I said, well, it looked like y'all showed up. There was a bunch of guys wearing y'all's uniforms on the field. If you hadn't shown up, it'd have been a forfeit. But y'all showed up. You just got beat. That's all there was. Now, I will tell you this. I, I'm not even going to be arrogant or cocky about it. I thought we were going to lose. I did. I thought Oklahoma was going to lose. They were supposed to lose. They were the underdog. But God. Oh, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. God don't care about that stuff. Yeah, God don't care about that stuff. We care about it a lot more than God does. I promise you. <laughs> but um, this says that there's faith that is required in our life, and it's the key for our life to take us to a place of victory, right? In this overcoming life. And I, I for one... In, having been raised in the, in the church that I was raised in, having the dad that I had as a pastor, and being around men like Pastor Bert who, who preach the message of faith with such clarity and accuracy, um, I still, I still have to hear it again. Because there's a voice outside of here that's saying the exact opposite constantly. It's constantly talking. It's constantly trying to get us to doubt. It's constantly trying to get us to buy into a different idea. That there's another way. There's not another way. Your way to victory is your faith. And so I, I want to just spend uh, a few minutes today just giving you, just reminding you of three characteristics of faith. Okay? If you're if you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. You probably should take notes. I'm a hypocrite saying that. I don't take notes. Like, I've, like I almost felt guilty even saying that you should take notes because it's just like. <laughs> I claim that I'm an auditory learner. How many of you are an auditory learner? Yeah. I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hands back up, but you know we forget. Even after we heard it. But the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church, don't get tired of my repetition because my repetition is for your safety. So that means that there are some things that the Apostle Paul said to the churches over and over and over, in letter and in person. He said these things over and over, and he says that this repetition is necessary so that we live a safe life. And then what that means is that we're living in the safety of God, and we're living safe in our doctrine and our theology and what we understand and what we believe about God, right? So I'm here to bring repetition, okay? Because I, I, I want all of us living in safety. Amen. Amen. The number one thing you need to know about faith is that faith is a lifestyle. Faith is not a doctrine. Faith is not a camp. While I was raised among what would be classified as the word of faith teachers, I was raised in, in, around that group, that's not the summation of what faith is. 
Faith is how we live. There are four times in the Bible, there are four scriptures, I should say, that say the exact same thing from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Galatians 3 and verse 11. And Hebrews 10 and verse 38. I'll repeat it for you if you're writing it down. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. They all say the same thing. The just live by faith. We live by faith. This is the lifestyle. We call ourselves believers because we have an expectation and a responsibility to actually believe and to believe God. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. He says, have faith in God. So when we wake up in the morning, we start with faith. When we go to bed at night, we go to bed in faith. The Bible even talks about people throughout history that died in faith. That means all the way to the grave, we're living by faith. Amen. We live by it. When we take steps, we take steps of faith. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith. And not by sight. It's, it's how we move through this life. It is how the kingdom of God works. You became, if you don't know this, when you put your faith in Jesus, you became a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you have to understand that within this kingdom, there are systems and there are laws and there are processes that, that make the kingdom of God work. And faith is a big one. So, in one sense, we're practicing how we're going to live for eternity when we live by faith here. I quoted to you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. I saw something recently in the Scriptures that really just inspired me, and I hope I can explain it the right way or in a way that helps you grab a hold of this idea. Because when I, when it, when I saw it for myself, it, it moved me. Like it, it moved me. God... God's expectation for our life. You have to understand, God expects incredible things for your life. He has faith for you. And He's expecting some amazing things for your life. So Hebrews 10.38 says, the just live by faith. And then verse 39, which is the last verse of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says, so we're not the kind that draw back, but we're the kind that believe. What that means is because we live by faith, our identity is now shifted from being a quitter and a loser to one who wins and believes and overcomes. We, we're not the kind anymore that quits. We're not the kind that draws back. We're the kind that believes. That's who we are now. And then it begins Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It says that without faith we cannot please God. I don't know how you feel, I would assume you feel like I do. I want to please God. That means that you can, you can obey a lot of things, but if faith is not present in your obedience, you're not going to please God. You're just obeying rules. Faith is how we please Him. 
So then we want to have a life that pleases him. So we live by faith. So Hebrews 11 goes on, and then it begins, after verse 6, it begins what is called, commonly called, the hall of faith. And it is individual after individual, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Moses. By faith, David. By faith, Joshua. And it just goes on and on and on and on. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. These amazing things. And then it says, think about this, it says at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, but time doesn't even allow me to talk about the kingdoms that were subdued and the mouths of lions that were stopped and the dead that were brought back to life. What kind of list is this if you're leaving as a sub- thought and a subnote that the dead came back to life. Something you might find interesting, and this is for the parents, especially those of you who, who, who have kids or maybe grandkids, this is good for grandparents too. Let me say this to you. In this amazing list, the writer of Hebrews leaves off kingdoms being subdued, mouths of lions being stopped, and the dead being brought back to life as a, as a like a subthought, but includes for Isaac and Jacob. Now, the Bible says that Isaac sowed a hundredfold return in a time of famine, but Hebrews 11 doesn't even mention that. The Bible says that Jacob striped sticks and held it in front of cattle's eyes so that they would put off spotted and striped because he was given a promise that he could have all the spotted and the striped offspring, and so he held this stick up. Now, I lived on a farm as a kid. That don't work. I'm just letting you know that doesn't work, okay? But it did work for Jacob because it was faith applied here, but Hebrews 11 doesn't even mention that. It mentions one thing, and it is actually the same thing for Isaac and for Jacob. Now think about this. Again, the writer thought it was important to tell this story and just kind of mention the kingdoms being subdued. Here's what it says. By faith, Isaac blessed his children. That's it. By faith, Jacob blessed his sons and his grandsons. That means then that God sees you as a parent or grandparent blessing your kids and your grandkids in the same category as the dead coming back to life. This is quite a list that is given here in Hebrews chapter 11. But then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, starts with these three words. Therefore, we also... Do you see that? Therefore, we also. Here's what that means for us. We come come out of 10, the just live by faith. We're not the kind that quit. We're the kind that keep believing God. You get into the Hebrews 11, this hall of faith, the kingdom's being subdued, the mouths of lions coming to being stopped, the dead coming back to life. And then Hebrews 12 says, therefore, we also. That means that God has an expectation that your life would be lived in such a way that you would land in the hall of faith, that from your life come the dead coming back to life, the kingdom's being subdued, and the mouths of lions being stopped. We also are supposed supposed to be in this same list. If we divide it up by chapter, we'd miss it. This is not written in chapter and verse. It's written as a letter, which means we have to just keep going to the next conclusion, and the next conclusion is 
Brother Lee, the next conclusion is that from your life, there's a testimony that says, even the dead can't stay dead around you. Therefore, we also. Come on, turn to your neighbor and just say, you too. Okay. You too. Therefore, we also. I love that. This is the life of faith. The life of faith looks like Hebrews chapter 11. And if you haven't experienced that, then I would say, have faith in God. Because he will take you from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And there will be victory that is yours as you live by faith. Yes? The second thing that I want to say about faith. So faith is a lifestyle. The second thing is that faith is a language. And we find this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, as it is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. Now, when it says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, this is not talking about that we have the same spirit of faith, like, like Brian and I have the same spirit of faith, although we do, but, but it's not because it's this, my faith is not the same as Brian's. What it's saying is that mine and Brian's faith is the same as God's spirit of faith. Since we have the same spirit of faith as God, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. So what this means is that faith defined is this. It's believing and speaking. That's faith. So then if we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, then we say, now believing and speaking is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our believing and speaking. It doesn't say it's believing and thinking, believing and wishing. It says it's believing and speaking. Now, I take this personal because I'm not a... I'm, I'm not by nature just super talkative. And Amanda and Olivia will tell you, after the years that they've known me, that, that I am without a doubt an introvert. And, and I, like me. <laughs> and it's difficult for me to like others. I work at it. God's done a great work. That's why I think I'm, I'm pastoring. God has an incredible sense of humor to me that he would even ask me to do that but I like I like my space I like my I like my time when I'm when I'm by myself here's the amazing thing when I'm by myself I never lose an argument I'm not saying I don't have arguments by myself and you introverts know what I'm talking about I'm just saying I don't ever lose them and I, I'm I'm picky about my space picky about my space I describe my introduction into my wife's family because my wife is, if you couldn't tell from the photo, my wife is Hispanic. And the best way I can describe that is that I, I as an introvert, love my space. But what I found is that they love my space too. <laughs> and it was a lot. It was, an, it was an, adjust, an adjustment that I had to go through to get used to people touching me. It's like, why well, you got to touch me? I stand in a grocery store line and I, I'm, I think somebody gets too close to me, I'm back up. Is it, and y'all not like that? You're looking at me like, I just, I just, just give me room. I don't need you in my back pocket. Just, just give me room. <laughs> so, so what I have a tendency to do as an introvert is I just, I think, and I think, and I think, and I think, and I think. 
And I'll think myself into a faith in the sense of, I'm thinking faith thoughts. I'm like, mm, that's, mm. and inside I'm going, that's good, that's good. But nothing's coming out of my mouth. Because I'm thinking a lot of great things, but I'm not saying anything. And faith in its completion is found in the speaking of what we believe, not just the believing part. It's believing and speaking. Now, this is important to God. It, it's, it's so important that, that if, you, if you had a Bible help book like a concordance, you could go through and you could find that the, the word faith or believing, those two are, are interchangeable words throughout the Bible. If you go from Genesis to Revelation, the very first time this, this word even shows up in the Bible is Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And it says, Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So from Genesis 15, 6, all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, you would find that faith or believing this idea that's taught in the Bible appears almost, it's not quite, but almost 600 times. So here's what that means, if I could help you understand. 600 is like, oh yeah, that's a lot. But let's put it in sermon form. Let's say that Pastor Bert wanted to take, he wanted to do a series on faith, and he's just going to take one verse each week from the Bible that mentions faith, and he's going to make a sermon out of that one verse, and he's going to teach all the verses of the Bible that talk about faith in a series. He is going to teach you about faith for the next 11 and a half years. How important is this to God? I think it's very important to God. It's very important. It's important to Him so much so that He wants you saying it. The Bible says, God says, my word will not return to me void. Well, how does God's word return to Him? Is the earth just some big trampoline and God speaks the word and it just bounces off and goes back to Him? No, His word returns to Him by our mouth. We say what He says. We speak His Word. And the beautiful thing about faith, and some people, some people have tried to squash faith down, and I hope that, that today you'll take any boundaries off of it. Because faith as a language is very wide and very broad. It has many dialects and different ways that it can be spoken. And here's why I think that's important, because again, just based on some of my upbringing, I was taught that you have to say it this way, and you've got to say it the right way, and if you don't say it the right way, well, then it's not going to happen. And, and while I think your confession is vitally important, and you need to say it as clearly and as concisely as you know how to say it, there is still a limitation in what we know. And the Scriptures actually support people saying it the wrong way, and God's still answering. I'll give you an example. Joshua's standing on a battlefield, and he's winning, but the sun is going down, and it's getting dark. And the Bible says, and Joshua said to the Lord, sun, stand still. And the Bible says it happened. Now, if what we understand about the universe is accurate, the sun is the only thing not moving. Which meant then that God didn't stop the sun, God stopped the universe. But Joshua, you didn't say it right. It doesn't matter that he said God knew what he meant. He could only say within the realm of his understanding what he thought needed to happen, and God filled the gap. 
And I would just say to you, don't be afraid and don't get too rigid about how you say it. Just get some courage on the inside of you and say some things that maybe have never been said before. Even if you don't know how to exactly say it, God knows what you mean. But don't stay bottled up just because you're so worried about whether it's exactly right or not. Don't do that because you're going to miss great opportunities. There was a Roman centurion that came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll heal your servant. They says, would you come to my house? So they're going to the house. And the Bible says in the book of Luke, it records it this way. When they weren't very far from the house, the centurion stopped him and said, no, 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 no. I actually don't need you to go to my house because I, like you, am a man who's under authority. And I say, to this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. All you have to do is speak the word and I know my servant will be healed. Wow. And Jesus, that was Jesus' response. Wow. He said, I have not seen so great a faith in the whole nation of Israel. Now, I don't know if you read the Bible through a funny lens. I do. I like to read it through a funny lens. I just think about the 12, the 12 disciples that actually represent the whole nation of Israel standing there with Jesus when he said that. Like, how did that make them feel? I, I wonder if he went, I have not seen so great a faith in all of Israel. <laughs> Now, I don't know why exactly that the centurion stopped him. You know, maybe he thought, oh, shoot, I didn't tell my wife I'm bringing Jesus to the house and she didn't clean. Hey, we got to stop right here. <laughs> I can't take you in my house. And we know that Jesus did speak the word and the servant was healed, right? So my question in this story then is, if Jesus could speak the word, and he did, and the servant would be healed, why, when the centurion came to him right here and said, would you come to my house and heal my servant, why didn't Jesus just say, no, nah, I don't need to come to your house. I can just speak the word. It's actually real simple if you read what Jesus taught. What Jesus said was, be it to you according to your faith. Not according to Jesus' faith. Not according to God's faith. Be it to you according to your faith. And when the centurion came to Jesus, his faith said, I need to get you to my house. But after a little bit of time spent with Jesus, he, something happened on the inside of him. And he said, no, 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 I actually don't need you to come to my house. Just, just speak the word. And Jesus was so amazed at his faith. But what it also tells me is that Jesus is okay going on a journey with us if that's where our faith is at the moment. But it also makes me wonder how many times... Has Jesus gone on a journey with us? If our faith had just been in a different place and we would have had the courage to say something that we had never said before, that these things could have been solved a lot faster. But I love the patience of Jesus. He's like, your faith is to get me to the house? Okay, I'll go with you. Let's go. But it also tells me that your faith reaches new levels when you spend a little more time with Jesus. You spend time in his word. You spend time in prayer. And you spend some time with Jesus. Something changes on the inside. Spend time around his word being preached. That means come to church as much as you can. Come to church. Right? So faith is a lifestyle and faith is a language. And then the third thing, and this is, this is my last thought. I'm not closing yet, so don't grab your purse. We're just, we're just, the landing gear's not out. We're just, 
we just we've started the descent. <clears throat> it's a lifestyle, it's a language. And number three, faith is a legacy. And the Bible says, or well, let me say this before I say that. Legacy defined in the dictionary is simply this, that which is handed from one generation to another or from the ancestors to the descendants. That it's something passed down. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, there is a faith on the inside of you that was first in your grandmother Lois, and then it was in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it's in you also. That means there was a faith in grandma that got passed to mother and from mother to son. Wow. This means that faith has legacy attached to it. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we should have people in our life whose faith we follow. That they're passing something to us. What that means then for us today is that there's a generation yet to be born that needs this generation to preserve this faith so that it can be passed to the next generation. I'm grateful for the legacy of faith in my family. I'm grateful for what God has done. I don't say that to brag at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it from a place of, of from awe and humility, honestly. But it, it really started with my grandma, my dad's mother. It started with her. Sybil was her name, Sybil Holler. And grandma had a faith that, that I, I, I'm telling you, I, just haven't, I have never seen it personally. I'm just talking about a personal level. I've never seen it in another human being like this. My grandma had a faith in God that was absolutely unshakable. I never, in the course of my grandmother's life, and I saw her battle some really, really tough and challenging things in her life, but never one time did I hear her question God about it. She kept her faith in Him through it. And there is a, there's a language a statement that I hear from time to time as a pastor and dealing with people, there is a, a statement that is made that concerns me. It, it actually really concerns me, and, I, and I'm, I'm not here to stand in a place of judgment about it. I'm just, please, I'm trying to give you warning, and I want you to set your ears to this. But there's a language that says, it sounds like this, well, I had this hard time and this setback and in the journey of that I just lost my faith. I don't, I don't mean to sound unsympathetic towards any hard time that you've been through. But I'm just telling you, faith is not quite that sensitive. Most of us lost hope. Because faith is strong. It's actually not something that can just slip through our fingers if we have it. It's something that pushes back. James says it this way. Count it all joy when you have these various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces. You see, sometimes we make it all about us rather than our faith. And we let these hardships come at us at a personal level when they need to be dealing with our faith because our faith can win every time. This 
is the victory. Our faith. This is the victory. Our faith. So that means then that we are presently, if faith has legacy, then we are presently the generation that preserves it. And we have it today because there was a generation before us that preserved it and a generation before them that preserved it. The Apostle Paul makes this statement in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, he's writing to Timothy, these are some of Paul's last words, actually chapter 4 of 2 Timothy is the last words of the Apostle Paul before he's executed. And so it's important, and he knows these are it. He knows these are the final words because he says, I'm already being poured out. As, a drink, as, an, as an offering, I'm a, it's, my time is at hand. But he says this, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've heard lots of sermons about, keep fighting. It's a good fight because you win. And I believe all that. I finished the race. Don't quit. It's not about how you start, it's how you finish. Am I the only one that's ever heard that in church? I don't know, in church. And I believe all that. But I don't hear a lot of sermons about the third thing he mentioned. He said, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. That means that this is a real marker of a completed life with God. It's the one who says, come hell or high water, come trouble or not. I am not one who's going to walk away and let faith go out of my hands. I'm a keeper of faith. It reminds me of a story I read in a book. There was, a, <clears throat> there was, a, there was an event that happened in, in China in the early 1900s called the Boxer Uprising. And the Boxer Uprising, if you don't know about it, and I didn't know very much about it, but if you don't know about it, what it was was a group of these radical guys who they were known for running around the countryside without shirts on. And they wore this particular sash. And, and what they were doing is they were going into the villages and they, the, the, the nation of China was, especially inland China, was in drought and famine. And they went around to all these villages and convinced a huge percentage of these villagers that the reason why they were in drought and in famine was because they had allowed Christianity to come in. And they were specifically targeting one missions organization called the China Inland Mission, which was founded by a great missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was the first European missionary to penetrate inland China. Everybody else was out on the coast, but he went to the interior of China, and he was the first one to do it, and he established this great organization that's actually still in existence today called the China Inland Mission. But they specifically went after them. And I don't have time to tell you so many stories. I just want to, I just want to talk about one, just, just before I finish. There was a school teacher. She was actually a Chinese national that had converted to Christianity. And it was a school teacher, and they showed up. All these radicals showed up with their machetes and their swords and all their stuff and their threats. And they drug her out of the school, out onto the playground area, and she had about 200 students, and the 200 students stood around her in a circle, and they demanded that she recant Christianity, and to tell all of these kids that what she had told them about Jesus was a lie, and that Jesus was not real, and he did not die on a cross, all you have to do is tell them that it's not true. She said, I can't. 
And they wrapped her in this cotton gauze and soaked her in kerosene. And said, you don't want to you don't want us to burn you in front of these students. You don't want this to be the last image that they have of you. All you have to do to save these kids from the torment of seeing you burn, all you have to do is tell them that Jesus wasn't real and that what you've told them is not true. And she said, I can't. It's true. And they lit her on fire in front of those 200 students. And the students recounting, one young man particularly, in particular, recounting the story, said when they lit her on fire, the flame was so massive. They had poured so much kerosene that the flame was so massive that she disappeared in an instant. It was just a huge column of fire in front of them. They all had to back up because it was so hot. And this student said, not one time, not one time did I hear her scream out in pain. Not one time did I hear her scream, okay, I, I recant, I, I denied, put out the fire, put out the fire. He said, I didn't hear her say anything like that. He said, but I did hear her. And he said, and her words have stuck with me and haunted me in my sleep. He said, as we stood there and watched this huge flame of fire erupt in front of us, we heard her voice from inside those flames Screaming at us, children, keep the faith, keep the faith. And I say to you today, keep the faith. It's a legacy that needs us to preserve it and hold it for the next generation. Don't let faith become something flippant. Don't even get casual about, well, I'm I'm a faith person, praise the Lord. No, no, we're faith people. And that ought to mean something deep on the inside of us, that we're people of faith. Again, this is what's taking us to victory. This is what's taking us to the overcoming life, is our faith. It doesn't slip through our fingers. We don't lose our faith. We keep our faith. Amen. We live by it. We talk by it. And we preserve it and hand it to our kids and to our grandkids. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I just want to, I want to pray for anyone that's here today that maybe, maybe you have found yourself in that place. And may, maybe, maybe your language has been, I've just, I've just lost my faith. As I said, I'm, I'm not, I, I come at you from a very sympathetic perspective, I promise you. And I, I'm, I don't want it all sound flippant about the hardship because I know those hardships are real. I've experienced them myself. But I just want today to be a day where you get your faith back. If maybe, if maybe you've found yourself in that place of lost faith, let's get it back. Let's decide today that we are going to be the keepers of faith. That faith is going to carry us through. That faith in God and in His Word is going to take us to victory. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
If you enjoyed it, we invite you to share it with someone in your life. We would love for you to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also download our app and stay connected to Gates and access to the Word of God anytime you need it. We are believing that the seed of today's Word is going deep in your heart and that you always remember God is more than enough in every situation of your life.